to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa's Magazine. Today I'm happy to welcome back Chris P. Lettuce from Armstrong Alley to talk about the next bunch of old school wrestling that he will be getting added to the channel at some point at the beginning of the new year. We talk about what he chose from the massive list of stuff available to him. We also talk about some of the stuff that's currently on his channel, including IWA in Nashville in the So Bad It's Good category, and in the Actually It's Not All That Bad category, the Texas Wrestling and Wow from Alabama in 1987 and 88. Coming up on the Plot Podcast that you can find in this feed in conjunction with When It Was Cool... There's going to be a bunch of vampire-themed podcasts throughout the month of October for Halloween, so be sure to be on the lookout for those. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. In the seven-plus years of the pod, I don't think we've had the same guest on consecutive shows. Admittedly, it's only been two months, and there have been three episodes of the plot since then, but you get to the point. To talk more obscure 80s and 90s in wrestling and what, what we may be seeing in the near future on his YouTube channel, I'm happy to welcome back from Armstrong Alley, Chris P. Lettuce. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. Uh, I'm not sure if I really have a whole lot of 90s stuff this time. Uh, uh, for people who didn't listen to the last show, um, you had gotten a large haul of old footage uh, from a longtime tape trader who you have dubbed the Greek uh, from The Wire. Um, and so... When you were on, we talked about a bunch of the stuff that you had gotten in that purchase, and now you are in the process, as we uh, teased at the end of our last show, you are now in the process of putting your order together for this time. Right. Uh, so basically, that's already finalized. I just, uh, I just need to send them the money. And so is this going to be... More stuff, less stuff, about the same amount? Uh, it's a little bit less. Somebody else threw in some stuff on my order, but uh, that's going to go on their YouTube channel whenever they get around to looking at their stuff. But uh, it's a slightly less stuff for me, but overall more stuff. So eventually everything will make its way to YouTube, even if it's not mine. So you're putting the order together now. What's your hopeful estimation on when stuff may start showing up on the channel? Uh, um, I would just say, like, to give myself, like, leeway to not say that it's going to be earlier than it's going to be. Probably, like, February, maybe late February. So nothing nothing in the immediate future. I just know it's going to take them a long time to do 100 discs, so... Right. I don't know how much of that he has to convert from VHS. That's where the real holdup is. Cool. So, uh, what are the highlights on what you're going to get that we can be looking forward to? Uh, well, I tried to get some stuff that everybody was requesting. So, I got 
two different things that are from the unlisted section that just said Wild West. Like there's one that says ICW plus CCW plus Wild West. I got that one, and there's one that says Wild West 1987. But I have no idea what's on it. That's not one of the DVDs that he lists everything that's on it. And then there's another one I got, um, Windy City. There's a Windy City plus AWA plus Eddie Sharkey's Pro Wrestling Camp. That's one of them. I'm sure that's a six-hour six tape, so that'll be three DVDs. So I didn't see a whole lot of Windy City. That's something a lot of people was asking for, but I didn't really, I didn't see a lot of that on the list. I mean, it's only 2,000 pages. I might have missed it. I was going to say, for people who- <laughs> For people that haven't seen uh, this list or or heard us talk about it last time, um, like I said, I was a tape trader back in the 90s, and there were people who had, like, fairly small lists, although they were detailed, and then there were people who were famous for enormous lists, and the Greek is one of those guys who has an enormous list. Yeah, there was people who, who got it in the past who were like, they wouldn't deliver it to their house because it was so big. And like, I was kind of disappointed when I got it because now I guess he's been able to make it, uh, all the pages two sided. So it's not, it's not as big as it used to be. It is still a large pile of papers. Yeah, I think, um, back in the day, I remember, I think, Jeff Lynch had, like, the biggest list that I'd ever gotten. And I would say it was, like, three or four inches thick. Like, uh, a lot of guys sent out updates, so you didn't necessarily get a gigantic list. I know, you know, I got a lot of stuff from John McAdam back in the day, and he was good, if I remember right, about sending updates, like, a couple times a year. So you would only get... You know, it was like four or five pages double sided, like once or twice a year. So it was, so it was like whatever was new, and then whatever he may have gotten along the way. So that wasn't too bad. But yeah, I only had one of those massive lists, and I remember it was just sort of like the enormity of it. Like this is both cool and scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get him to send me a picture of his collection, but he wouldn't do it. The uh, I know that I was one of the people that was asking for a Wild West, so I'm glad there's going to be some of that uh, coming up in the near future. Because, you know, I was a big UWF guy at the time, and then when, uh, if I remember right, Wild West is Ken Mantell and or Gary Hart, uh, that it started in Dallas. I don't think Gary Hart was doing Wild West. Okay. So it was Ken Mantell. It's it's hard to remember. I think it was Mickey Grant and Ken Mantell. Mickey okay. Grant was the producer of the World Class show. Right, because, uh, yeah, this was all sort of, you know, former Watts and World Class guys, and they filmed in Billy Bob's in Fort Worth, you know, which, you know, had, had uh, run shows there before. Yeah, it's sort of like how, you know, Power Pro eventually became, you know, I think think Power Pro was from Gillies, you know, and then this is sort of a similar vibe. And so this was a lot of former world class 
and uh, guys that went to UWF and then came back to Dallas to do stuff like, you know, people like Tatum and Victory and Iceman Parsons and people like that. And Yeah, there's a – it was mixed in with some other stuff, but there was one DVD that I saw that had a, a match listed that was John Tatum versus Missing Link in a cage from Wild West. So that might be on one of these that I'm getting. It's surprising there's there's very little amount of Wild West on YouTube, which is not surprising and surprising at the same time, just because, you know, at the time there weren't a whole lot of, you know, independent slash outlaws, whatever, you know, at the end of the the beginning of the death of the territories, I should say. And, you know, being in Dallas with a bunch of no name or a bunch of names that people would recognize that I'm surprised there hasn't been. I mean, maybe there's been more over time and it's just been taken down. But it's I mean, given some of the stuff that's out there, I mean, not only stuff that you've gotten, but, you know, stuff that, you know, the people in this world know, well, which YouTube channels have lots of stuff on them. You know, that that's not one that's that at least has more than it has now, I guess. Well, I think what's weird that we really don't have is the central states where it was under Crockett, where Bill Dundee was booking, and it was like Bill Dundee versus Sam Houston was the top dude. We have almost none of it. But we have central states before and after. And the funny thing about that is, I think Semper Vivi has said on here before, that Central States TV was shown on Home Team Sports, which was the the sports channel in D.C. So it's it's vaguely surprising that you know somebody people in the Mid Atlantic weren't taping it, and there's not more of it around. You know, it wasn't like this is something that was only seen in Kansas City. This actually had penetration in other places. Well, you would have thought it would have just had some. That would have been an act. A time of increased like tape trade or interest because oh well Crockett took it over and, but no I don't know nobody has it. It seems like there's also not that much. I think I'll tell head like there's not a whole lot of Crockett Florida. There's some, but you know again maybe not as much as you would yeah, think. Yeah, I think that is kind of one of those periods where there's not as much Florida. I don't know. It's, it's like, weird. Yeah, it's 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 weird, like you're saying, like some things have survived and some things haven't, even though the things that haven't survived are sort of more of a higher profile. I guess it just sort of, you know, it depends on who was taping what and when, and you know, now twenty five years later, who's managed to save it or not? Yeah. Uh, so I know some of the other stuff I think I saw on your list. Um, you've managed to find, I think, some more Continental, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely at least uh, three episodes of 1988, probably four episodes or five episodes of 1988 Continental from when Eddie Gilbert was booking. Because if you look at my YouTube and you look at the playlist, you can see, I mean, there's a lot of weeks that are missing. I'm pretty sure that I've found quite a few of those missing episodes which is good since you know we've talked i mean our pod is certainly one of the homes that's been uh part of the continental renaissance i mean we're certainly not the only ones but between all of ron's stuff and your stuff and Bo and carl that 
you know, there's a lot more continental out there than there used to be, certainly. Yeah, so this is not exactly my favorite era of continental. If I could choose an era of continental to find more of, it wouldn't exactly be this one. But you take what you can get. Even though, as we all know, this became the sheet writer's favorite era of continental due to being friends with Gilbert and Heyman. It's a, such bullshit. Like, I, I said this the other day, that, like... Any other booker in 1988 who books that Shane Douglas and Lord Humongous are brothers angle gets eviscerated in the Observer. And Eddie wins Booker of the Year. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, it's certainly well known that, like, my enthusiasm for for some of the stuff in the, the Observer, especially classic Observer, has waned over time. And especially when you, like, look at the documentation and you see the way that Dave and Steve Beverly were very clearly, you know, talking to Eddie and Paul, and that was influencing what they were writing. You know, it's, it's you know, it sort of makes you go back and read everything with a, like, a slightly more jaundiced eye, I guess. Uh, I, I'm tired of talking about that. 88 Continental, because the people who still think, like, oh, that's the best era of Continental, you're probably never going to change their mind, and the people who've seen all of it, they're not going to tell you that's the best era of Continental. And the, the sad part is, we probably have, like, the like some of the lesser amounts of Continental when it was probably actually the best, which... We got a pretty good run of 86, and I think 86 is really a really good year. But I was thinking maybe like when when Bullet Bob's a heel, like well, we have. Well, yeah, like, I mean, studio era, obviously. Like I wish we had so much more of the studio. But uh, was there I anything like else? studio era more than I like Continental. Even though you get better matches on. Yeah, I yeah I've become more of a fan, not just Continental in general, but watching studio shows. Yeah, like, I like studio wrestling. I think studio wrestling is the better format than, like, doing your TV in a giant arena. Yeah, because when I started watching, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if anything that I was seeing was still being done in a studio because I wasn't, I mean, it was like three years after I started watching before I got to watch Memphis. So, you know, I was watching... Vince and Crockett, and that was, you know, right when, you know, Crockett started taping at the high school gyms and stuff in mid-85, and of course WWF had already moved moved out of Allentown, so, you know, I, you know, uh, studio wrestling is one of those things that I came to appreciate later, even though I wasn't exposed to it at the beginning, because, yeah, I think the aesthetics are better, and, and sort of the intimacy, which I think you can tell Sometimes when you watch Memphis, especially, you know, since it's more about the angles and the interviews than it is necessarily about watching matches. Yeah. And you can just do, like, angles and interviews on a studio show that you can't do as well in an arena. So was there is there uh, anything really oddball that you think will be in this next so uh, I didn't really try to go 
too crazy on this one. Like, uh, there was one that somebody was requesting that's, um, Iowa Ringside Wrestling, so I don't know what that one's gonna look like. Uh, there was one that I found that was interesting, it's 1982 International Wrestling, which was like probably one of the earlier, like, outlaw type, uh, TV shows. I think that's where, like, if there's a video on YouTube of California Championship Wrestling, like, which had to be, like, the first few weeks that they were on TV, and they show some of this stuff, and it's got, like, old-ass Bull Curry as a manager, so I'm pretty, I'm looking forward to seeing, like, the actual episodes of that. And then there was one, like, 1981 IWL, which was some, um, one of Thunderbolt Bull Patterson's uh, outlaw promotions in Georgia. And you've also got, if I remember looking at uh, what you posted, uh, there's going to be a bunch of Canadian stuff, both Montreal and Maritimes, right? Yeah. Uh, I did find, like, a, there was some Montreal that I was looking at last time, and I left it off. But, yeah, there's probably about five or six DVDs of Montreal from, like, right at the end before it turns it. Like, they had kind of a weird thing. I think the Rougeos and... And Dino Bravo actually, like, sold to WWF or had some type of deal. So, like, the last DVD, it's like this weird merger where you get WWF stuff and also, like, there's still, like, Montreal-specific stuff. And you also get, like, the last few months leading into that. So all that stuff looks good. Uh, you can watch some of that Montreal 1985-era stuff on YouTube. You want to look up uh, the Garvins versus the Rougeos. That's a really good feud. You can see how hot those crowds were and how good, like, Montreal wrestling was from that era. So, obviously, finding more of that stuff is, is like, I think that's probably going to be the best stuff that I get. And any any, uh, any more maritime stuff that we get is always fun to see. Hopefully more of Bobby Bass. What Do you know what years for the Maritimes it is? The Maritimes, it's, uh, there's some... Uh, that's uh, 1983, and then there's some that says it's from 73 to 74. That's really, I mean, that's, I don't know who that, you know, that's so long ago, I wouldn't even hazard a guess on, like, who that would be, would be in there. It was all listed. I, I gotta, it'll take me a little bit to pull the list up. I should have already did that. But yeah, it looked like you're, I mean, it wasn't. <sighs> Like most of your Canadian guys, I think like the Vachons were there and stuff like that. I'm trying to look if it because I had the Patreon post open, but I might not be looking at the right one. Let's see. Anyway, well that's cool. Um, have you find? I know. A lot of the stuff that you posted, so you pretty much posted everything now that you got in the first batch, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I finished all that. But I think we've talked before, and I'm going to let that go by. Oh, yeah, I'll mute it. But, uh... I think I don't know if we had talked about this last time or in between, like on social media. But 
a lot of the stuff that you posted, you didn't actually get a chance to watch while you were uploading it. So how much of what you uploaded have you finally gotten around to watching? Uh, not that much more. Uh, I watched most of uh, the IWA Nashville stuff, which is fun if you like bad wrestling. If you don't like bad wrestling, don't watch. <laughs> and uh, I watched a little bit of the Deep South. I think I watched one of those episodes. I watched a little bit of the NWF, which, I, like, it's fun. It was. They never had a chance to go anywhere. It was never going to, like, take off and be an actual promotion, but... It was fun to see Buck Robley get some, uh, get a money mark for a little bit. Yeah, other than that, I really haven't had uh, time to sit down and watch a whole lot of stuff. Because to me, I think we may have mentioned this last time, to me the two, the two things that I've liked the best, and it may be because it's what we have the most of, is the Texas stuff and the WoW stuff. You know, that may be because, because we have a couple months where so you can see stuff develop. It may just be because we've heard of a lot of the people on there. I'm not yeah. sure. Or a combination of all that stuff. I did watch a, I watched a couple episodes a while. Like, I need to get further in because, like, early on, the talent's not that great. And then it does, it does pick up. Like, I definitely know, like, better wrestlers come. Well, I think, I think by the end, it's, or at least, I don't know if this is the end of what you posted. I don't know if that's actually the end of the promotion or not. Pretty close. I don't know. It, like, I don't think it went on much longer than that. But, uh, yeah, like in one of the last episodes, if you look at, say, try and get the thing open. So, on, uh, this is, this is like January 88, so near the end. So you've got, Davey Haskins, who was somebody, you know, we've heard of, versus Kokina, who, you know, is the later Yokozuna. Uh, you've got, you know, a guy named Knight Rider and David Baxter, who has pretty much been there the whole time as, you know, w one of their versions of sort of the Rock and Roll Express babyface tag team. Yeah, they're trying to push him as, like, the heartthrob babyface. He might have had the look, but I don't think he had, like, the personality to pull it off. No, and if people who have watched uh, 87, 88 Memphis, he's the guy that has, like, the giant blonde hair that looks like, you know. He has very, like, 80s rock star hair. Like, I, I like it. Good for the time. I was going to say he looks like he's, like, a member of Poison. That's usually how I describe him. But anyway, so they're wrestling Bad Company, and this is Pat Tanak and Paul Diamond, and this is, uh, I was able to piece together from looking at results, even though they're not on Cage Match or Wrestling Data, it's like you sort of can figure out the gaps. But this is like after they left Memphis, but before they went to the AWA. So this is like a you know a good time. You know they're still early in the gimmick, but you know I mean we sort of know you know they became one of the better tag teams of the late '80s and early '90s. You know you've got Mr. Olympia, you've got Bob Holly who you know, looks is more recognizable to the Bob Holly that we would see in Smoky Mountain than he was at the beginning when he was just sort of like a white meat babyface. He's 
sort of grown as a heel by the end. Yeah, he starts off as a babyface and then he turns heel somewhere in there. So you've got Bob Holly, yeah, you've got with the manager. <laughs> yeah, you've got you know Holly, you got you know Mr. Olympic Jerry stuff. You've got Rotten Ron Star. You've got the Batten Twins and Mike Boyette. So you know of the sort of dozen names on that list, you know it's right. I think you know seventy five percent of them are people we at least know whether they're early in their careers or at the end of their careers. It's at least recognizable. And then, you know, over the course of time, it's funny, we have enough wow that we see Pat Rose at the beginning of the promotion, at the end of the promotion, in two different gimmicks, which is kind of funny because he's in a heel tag team at the beginning. Um, Well, no, he's just a a singles wrestler. He's a champion, U.S. champion or something. Okay, so, and then by the time he comes back, He's now in a team. He's a new version of the Fargos, being managed by Don Fargo, and teaming with teaming with Ken Timms. You know, another sort of you know Gulf Coast Continental veteran. You know, I mean that's I mean that's I think one of the good things about this promotion. You know, we were talking about sort of this you know newly found love of Continental and Alabama and stuff, and you've got a bunch of guys in this promotion who are certainly familiar to. People that watch Continental, you know, Jerry Stubbs is there from sort of the middle of the promotion onwards. You know, Pat Rose has been there. Ken Timps has been there. Ron Starr. Ron Starr. You know, it's sort of like everybody except, you know, if you're a Fuller or an Armstrong. And then afterwards, some of those guys end up in uh, Continental, like uh, Yokozuna ended up there for a little bit, Coquina. Right. Turbo Ted, I think, ended up doing a lot of jobs. I remember I seen him on the listings a lot when I was looking at 1988 Continental. I didn't remember. Yeah, he's he's a man like in sort of the middle era of WoW. He's a man. There's a lot of people that float in and out. They're there for a couple of weeks and then leave. Yeah, then the, well, that's kind of your standard uh, like small time territory startup things. Like you don't really know who's going to be there week to week. And you can easily see the fact that, you know, some of these guys are here. They probably go away for a couple of weeks, probably go and do jobs, you know, either on Continental TV or, you know, Crockett TV or something like that, and then come back again. And so, yeah, they're not here. For, you know, like the Coastal Connection guys, you know, which is David Baxter and two or three other guys. Yeah, they kind of rotate. They kind of rotate people in. One the of them, first set, the first set is like the worst one to me. Like the two guys they put with them don't fit at all what they're trying to go for. No, I mean, if you, sort of, if you look at the history of the sort of you know Rock and Roll Express slash Fabulous Ones type babyface tag teams, you know, there's certainly a certain look that you're trying to go for. And yeah, I thought, like, the most improbable set of those was, like, uh, Johnny and Davey Rich. I thought that was, like, the most improbable heartthrob-type tag team until I seen, like, the Coastal Connection. The Party Patrol. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, and some of the, yeah, and 
if you look at sort of like the history of those tag teams, like if you're not in an express, like some of the names are 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 pretty funny. Like <laughs> you know, like the Uptown Boys. Yeah. In, in Kansas That's City, Marty Janetti and the Tommy Rogers was well, a Tommy Rock- Lane later. RPM yeah. Tommy Lane. RPM Tommy Lane. And yeah, so, so you know, and then you get you know, Joseph Oldie's been in a couple of them over the years. You know, the what the S and S Express and the what is it? Both said that there was a maybe for Goulas, there was a team called the Stop and Go Express. I remember hearing about them, yeah. Because it was like a gas station or, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like if you had a team now that would be like the Wawa Express or the <laughs> yeah. the, the Sheets Express or the, actually, funny, in the South, you have a Piggly Wiggly Express, that would actually be kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, so I think WoW is sort of, like, I've, I've definitely developed a fondness for WoW and, one of the other funny things about it is not only does the talent come and go, but like the announcers come and go. Oh like, yeah, you have you have some guys who are like two they guys. try to get Rick Stewart, but he's so sick by then. I don't know that he does more than one week. Yeah, for a while there there are two guys at the beginning whose names I don't uh, remember them, but the <laughs> the one guy he just does not look like he should be there at all. No, there's like the play-by-play guy, and then there's sort of. He looks like he should be like he should be like on like the local, like Sunday morning church show rather than on the wrestling show. Yeah, there's the guy doing play-by-play, and then like his partner is like a sort of older, tall black guy named Papa Rock. Yeah. You know, who's who? You know, I don't know. You know, and then you know. Repiler's there throughout the whole time as like the the commissioner type, and then uh, like about I, th- my favorite Repiler thing is where he interviews uh, Boris Krupov, and like as soon as he hands him the mic, he just starts just yelling at the top of his lungs, like doing like a parody of a wrestling promo. And once Riptaller gets the microphone back, he's like, he's like, well, you need to, he's like, you need to catch your breath after that. You was probably blown up after all that. <laughs> And and what's best is in like the the personality profile style segments that Rip Tyler hosts. Like <laughs> it's on this set that kind of looks like it's supposed to be a house. Like it, it really yeah, looks it's like you got, got like a window with like a curtains to it. It's yeah, great. It looks, I love Rip's corner. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it looks like something from like a P, a local PBS. That's my favorite part of Wow is Rip's corner. But uh, but about three quarters of the way through, we suddenly get Burt Prentice as Christopher Love as the play-by-play guy for like maybe a Do they month. Call him Christopher Love? No, no, yeah, yeah. He, well, he's Chris Love. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, because because they definitely call him Chris a couple times, and I'm pretty sure somebody calls him Chris Love because he's not Burt Prentice. Right. So okay. he, he's Chris Love, and then he's he's his color guy is another new guy who. Just some guy. And then, like, at the very end, like you said, there's maybe one or two weeks of Rick Stewart. And then, like, in the last couple episodes. Tyler has to do it, like, like against his will. <laughs> and he does say. He starts he's every show complaining about the fact that he's doing it. And he says, you know, 
you know, Rick Stewart's supposed to be here, but he's too sick. And, you know, you're kind of watching it now going, well, yeah, this is like early 1988. I'm not sure how much longer he's still alive before he passes away. I was looking online to see if this is the last stuff he did. And apparently after a while, he briefly did stuff for Nelson Royal in Atlantic Coast. That would have been yeah, but obviously not for very much longer because it was either 88 or 89 when, when Rick Yeah, because Nelson does his thing after he does USA Championship and sees how well that's going. So that's probably start towards the end of 88. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other thing, the other one that we talked about on the last show that I really liked is was the Texas stuff that was, you know, Gary Hart and Bill Mercer. And Again, it's a lot of the former world-class guys, you know, and older world-class guys and then younger Dallas guys. You know, we've got three or four episodes right at the beginning with young Steve Austin when he's teaming with Rod Price, you know, and then that's when Austin leaves and goes to WCW. And, you know, it's sort of like a a lot of the familiar names you would get from watching world-class you know, Abdul is there for a while. Iceman's there. They just the Simpsons. So, like all the guys you would ex- expect to see, and then some younger guys who aren't great but not horrible. And then, of course, as we talked about last time, there was the American Ninja. Yeah. I don't know who who became the bigger breakout star on your YouTube channel: the American Ninja or Willie the Clown? Oh, people really, like, they took to that American Ninja thing. Like, if you look at the views on that episode, they're way above everything else on my channel, for the most part. But, yeah, but Willie the Clown is in that IWA Nashville stuff that you were talking about. And is that, do you think that's probably the best good-bad stuff that you posted? Oh, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, if you enjoy watching bad wrestling, you would enjoy all of that, because, like, there's none of it that, like, I can't think of anything that's really good about it. Like, but it's all done in a way that's entertainingly bad. And you wonder why the hell anybody thought this was going to work. Like, you can't even hardly see the matches sometimes, the lighting is so bad. And I think you said, did you say, like, that show had the worst, like, announcing... Oh, the, all the announcing stuff. Like, everything, like, all the at-the-desk stuff is garbage. And then they fight over who has the desk. Like, the heels will take it over. Yeah, it's... Oh, God. All that stuff's terrible. And yet, somehow, Max Payne managed to survive it and become a star for at least a little while. I'm glad he only did the stuff he was doing there while he was there. Like, he was doing, like, a macho man on Soma's gimmick. Which is not really anything you would... I mean, that's not really the Max Payne that we would, like, see later. No, like, he's... Uh, I've never seen him do, like, like the way he talks and does promos there. And the other great thread between, I think, at least three of the things that you posted is uh, our cameos by Nick Goulas, of all people, in like the late in the late 80s, early 90s. 
Yeah, like, it was weird how much stuff he was on that I had no idea he was in. Like, I did not expect him to show up in WoW at all. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, that's like the early December. Well, I guess a couple weeks earlier. Like, when I look at it and it's Kitty Bolin and Nick Goulis and George Goulis, I'm like, what the hell happened to this promotion that was like Bobo Continental? But I wonder, too, if that's, like, also around the time that Burt Prince came in. And, you know, you sort of associate Burt Prince with Nashville, so you wonder if there's, like, maybe that's where the connection came from. Because, you know, Burt Prince is hosting the show when Nick Goulas comes to the studio to talk about how WoW is going to be running either in Nashville or sort of some of Nick's older towns. And then... And then uh, there's one episode or, or that's like Nick Goulas presents World Organization Wrestling. But the funny part is he's interviewing Nick Goulas and then he's interrupted by Don Fargo. And you're like, what year is this? Is this, is this like, is this 1987 or like 1960? That was probably Nick's idea. It was like uh, the only guy that he remembered on the roster. He's like, oh yeah, I remember drawing money with Don Fargo in 1962. And Fargo is one of those guys, too. He's there pretty much... He's the highlight of it for me. Like, everything I saw him doing was entertaining. Well, it's funny that he has like two or three gimmick changes. Oh yeah, he does a lot. Yeah, (laughs) that's the favorite thing about it. Because in the beginning, he's teamed with it's sort of like a veteran rookie kind of team. But crazy it, Mike or something. Yeah, his partner's kind of... He doesn't talk. He just kind of, like, he's in the background while Don Fargo does stuff. And yeah, he, he takes the bump, because Don Fargo's old as shit. Yeah, he, he stands in the background, he makes funny faces, and he, he wears weird hats. Yeah. And he'll, like, turn the hats around or put them inside out. And, yeah, so they were a team at the beginning, and then... I think they beca- I think he becomes a baby face in the middle or he's either a baby face or he's suddenly a heel that wants to wrestle clean for a reason. It's kind of weird. I think they do like this gimmick. They do a gimmick where they're tired of getting fined, so they try to be clean. Like I remember seeing some interview that was the premise, which was like right after they ate dog food. I guess they tried to say like they were too wild and they were getting in trouble. Clean up their act. Yeah, and then that sort of segues into the crazy guy leaves, and then he suddenly becomes, like, the number one manager. And he's, like you said, we've, he's got Pat Rose and Ken Timms as the new Fargos, and he's managing Bob Holly. And it's, oh, and, and then near the end, probably when all this Nashville stuff starts, suddenly Tojo shows up. And you're like, why is Tojo here, of all people? The Tojo is there because they're trying to get Nicholas to get involved. And it's like, is Tojo on the, it's like, you wonder, is this one of those times where Tojo, Tojo got mad at Jerry Jarrett and, like, left and went somewhere, you know, like, went back to Nick for a while, and then he, you know, and then when this this folds, he probably goes back. Because it's like, you never, it's like you watch 80s Memphis, and you never know when Tojo will or will not be there. You know, he, Well, it's not that he got mad at him. I think it just will bring him in for a run, and then, like, okay, Tojo, we've got nothing to do with you for now. Find somewhere to go. 
News, news bring whenever, it back in six months. Whenever, whenever Jarrett has somebody from Japan on excursion, yeah. it's like we need to bring Tojo in to be their manager. You know, whether it's you know Fuji and Onita or Goto or I don't know. Does Hashimoto does he get Hashimoto? He may. I think he does. But you know, and then. I don't know if I don't know if he ever actually managed Bear Company while they were there. It wouldn't surprise me. But well, who does he manage in wow, it's Bob Holly, isn't it? I don't know if it's ho- it, it's funny that he's not I don't I think he's only on I don't remember seeing him like once. Yeah, but like he's not with Yokos he's not with Kokina. Or, no, or he well, was, it's not Japanese, he's Samoan. Yeah, but you know, it's not it's late nineteen eighties. Southern wrestling. Yeah, I don't think people would. Pre- I think if you put the Japanese guy with the Samoan guy, yeah, nobody we weren't trying to pretend that Kokina was Japanese yet, so there was no natural connection. Other, and then I think near the end, I think Kokina also turns face. I think because he's wrestling a match with somebody that's sort of like a scientific match, and then the guy gets hurt. And they just kind of stop the match, and then instead of beating him up, he like goes over and helps the guy off. They do the, they do the spot where Kokina's in the corner, and he moves, and the guy does the running shoulder block and runs, flies through the ropes and hits his shoulder on the post, and then gets counted out. And then he kind of, kind of gets the win, and then he goes out and helps the guy up. And you're like, aren't you a heel or like? Did I miss something in like the two weeks that like we may be missing? Because in the beginning he's also he's there with Samu. Samu's there for a while, and they're a tag team. And then you know Sam disappears for a while, and then Kokin is there by himself or being managed by somebody. Yeah, this this promotion is full of weird, random uh, baby face and heel. Like lots of guys over the course of this turn on Bob Sweetan. Which is, you know, in real life understandable. But, you know, Bob Sweetan is supposed to be the patriotic. I guess he's the number one babyface. Uh, yeah, there's like a short period where he's like the number one babyface. And then I think, like, once Stubbs turns babyface, it seems like it's him. But, uh, yeah, he's because he's shooting with the, Rus- the, the fake Russian for a while. And then, you know, then they turn. Talk to- about bad fake Russians. That guy sucks. And then uh, Tom Boogaloo Shaft is there for a while. He turns on Bob Sweetan. Um, there's like a long uh, yeah. He's he's almost like Jimmy Valiant, and like he's the guy everybody turns on. I guess because you know he's the number one face for everybody. Or I guess more accurately, he's Dusty. He's he's the guy everyone always turns on. But yeah, he has really bad facial hair during this period. Yeah, it's like like that really light fucking pedo mustache. And then, and then Sweet Tan for a while wears one of the worst masks I've like ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not it's, it's they quickly like, give up on that gimmick where he's gonna be like uh, under a mask as the obvious the guy who you know who it is, but it's supposed to irritate the heels that he's under a mask. Yeah, I think he's like Mr. USA or something like that, and it's like, yeah, you can. It's obviously Bob Sweetan. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it just didn't work. But yeah, I would say, 
WoW is definitely my favorite of these things. There's, you know, there's a half a dozen uh, things that you got on the channel now that I would say are good enough that people should watch. Like, you know, the WoW and the Texas stuff and the the Buck Robley stuff. I like some of that. Some of the Bill Ash stuff, even though... Yeah, I thought that was fun. Like, it's only a 30-minute show, so you get in, you get out. And unfortunately, yeah, I think since last time we did the show, unfortunately, Bill Ash passed away not too long ago. And he's somebody that I always like watching in Continental. And so it's kind of cool to see he had this promotion in Arkansas for not that long. And, you know, maybe one of the few times that the promoter and booker wasn't really pushing himself he was just sort of it's almost he was like in the same place he was in continental he was like the mid-card heel that seemed to be working with the young guys trying to get him experience yeah well (laughs) he had to use those guys or he had to pay somebody yeah so yeah there's definitely a bunch of stuff worth watching on there um like you said, you know, you've got your order ready and it's ready to go. I think since the last time you were on, I don't know if you had started it yet, but uh, for people that want to donate to the cause, even though it'll probably be for the next time, you've now got a Patreon. Yeah, uh, patreon.com slash crispy lettuce. Try to keep everything simple. Yeah, that's just kind of like the ongoing way that you can support me and uh, just – Kind of help me keep getting new footage because I'm, I'm going to keep doing this as long as I can because this guy has basically an inexhaustible well of wrestling footage. So just trying to get as much of it off of old VHS and DVDs and into a streaming format as I can. Cool. Yeah, so people can check that out and, of course, go to the YouTube channel at Armstrong Alley. Chris, I want to thank you once again for doing the show. I mean, you know, it'll be a while before we see any of this stuff, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some of it. Yeah, right now I'm still doing. I'm still trying to keep some uploads going on my YouTube channel. So if uh, you want to see some SMW Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, fan cams, that's what's going up right now. Until I run out of that, and at that point, I don't know what the heck I'm going to be uploading. Cool. Well, thanks again for doing the show. Um, it's uh, not on on this podcast, but on the plot uh, for October at When It Was Cool, there's going to be a bunch of vampire and horror stuff that they're doing over there. And so the plot is going to be having a couple of vampire-themed episodes this month. So those should be dropping. The first one should probably be next week sometime, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.